This is Marketing Heroes Unfiltered, the journey to CMO, the podcast where we interview high achieving B2B marketing professionals to know their stories, struggles, and insights in this fast paced and competitive industry. Hosted by Leslie Carruthers and Danny Muscaplatt, Melissa Kales is Director of Strategic Marketing, North American Local at Fleet Corps, a global leader in business payments. Having spent nearly 15 years solving complex B2B and B2C marketing problems, she has launched award-winning websites, revamped product lines to generate 30% year-over-year growth, and optimized brand campaigns that generated $1 million in additional revenue. With an ability to blend data and design, she is passionate about building brands and customer experiences that convert into revenue. Melissa is an accomplished T-shaped digital marketer with proven experience driving revenue growth, growing demand generation and pipeline, optimizing campaigns, streamlining workflows, and building teams. This is a podcast about heroes, which is why you're here, yeah. Melissa. Thank you. That sounds great. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you. Tell us how you start your day. I'm a big fan of slow mornings. So I like to wake up a little earlier than I really need to and kind of start my day really slowly. I have a great back patio that I like to sit and enjoy, like my coffee, breakfast with my dogs. And then sometimes depending on my work schedule and my call schedule, I'll sit out there with my laptop, maybe take my first call off camera out of the day out on the patio. It's really nice to enjoy the weather. I live in Texas, so it's beautiful pretty much year round, uh, with the exception of the rainy season we've been having here lately. So my day pretty much starts off nice and slow. I kind of ease into it. And then usually around 9.30 or so is when I hit my desk and I set up my big monitor and I start diving in for the day and like really get into the the meat and potatoes of my work. Mm -hmm. That's great. Got it. So one of the things we like to start with is looking back and finding out our hero's origin story. So can you tell us how you got to where you are? Yeah, that's a great question. It's always so funny to me that I ended up in marketing because I started out in college as a political science and history double major. I wanted to go work for like the CIA or the NSA. And I kind of fell into marketing when I realized near to graduation that these really weren't the career paths that I thought they were going to be. And and I wasn't going to ultimately kind of be happy in them. And I connected with some alumni, ended up at a direct mail marketing company. It ended up really just clicking for me. And I fell in love with marketing at that job. So then head first from there. So I'm I'm very much a um, graduate of the Academy of Google. (laughs) In terms of marketing, I'm fortunate that I was kind of coming up in marketing when it was still a very up and coming practice in terms of digital. So there weren't really degrees in this that you could have. It was a lot of self-taught, learn on the job, get certificates, things like that. So that's kind of how I got my start. And then ultimately, I actually ended up teaching digital marketing for General Assembly. So it all kind of came full circle for me. Yeah. Are you still doing that? Are you still teaching? I am not. I would love to get back into it. So if anyone from General Assembly is listening to this, hopefully they'll reach out to me. (laughs) You and Danny can talk about that. He's been a professor at a couple of Oh, great. Yeah, Yeah, that would be great. So rewarding. Yeah, for sure. I love to teach. And of course, he gets to teach tons of teams. He's the VP Marketing at Thomson Reuters. And I'm sure you're teaching all the time with your team also, Melissa. Mm -hmm. So talk with us for a minute, if you would, about... The big hairy problems that you've seen and either wrestled to the ground yeah. or that you see recurring and, and help other marketers like yourself see how other other opportunities, ways to handle them. 
I think there's two big themes that I've really seen over the last, especially five years or so of my career. The first is going to be really just change management within larger organizations. I think that there's a lot of business practices that are changing, especially as it relates to how marketing and sales work together. And so kind of trying to turn the Titanic, so to speak, in a lot of those areas is always a challenge working especially with sales teams and operations teams to really be successful and shift marketing in a, in a more modern direction is, is a common theme that I've seen. It's one that I deal with on a day-to-day basis currently. And then I think the other big theme within marketing, especially, is the trend towards, you know, no longer attributing marketing towards simple things like impressions or clicks to a website and really getting more to what is marketing contributing to the organization from a revenue perspective. And that's a much harder math problem to solve, uh, especially for a lot of organizations because they don't have the reporting and, and, you know, analytical setup to be able to do that. So trying to get to a spot where marketing is able to show the value in terms of dollars that they're contributing to the organization with a lack of the appropriate support structure to actually do that easily is a big theme that I've seen and challenge that I was actually trying to solve today for a big campaign. Get that. That's great. Any advice for for marketers? I know you're in Fleet Corps. Mm -hmm. You've had pretty consistent leadership. We've had consistent leadership from an upper management um, and executive leadership standpoint. And they are starting to see more of the value that marketing contributes. One really exciting thing that's changed in the last six months is that they are looking more towards marketing always having touches before sales ever gets in touch with the lead. So really using marketing to better warm up sales leads, which is not a new concept to marketers, but it's a new concept to an extent within the fleet core infrastructure. So that's been really exciting to work within. The biggest piece of advice that I would give to marketers who are trying to solve kind of that revenue attribution challenge is even if you can't get all the way to revenue, get as close to a metric as you can to revenue. So Maybe it's just pipeline sourced. If that's as close as you can get for now, you know, show that pipeline that you've sourced that's marketing contributed. And then as you continue to show that value, hopefully you can make the waves to get the, you know, analytics and reporting that's necessary to actually show revenue contributed. That's great. That's a great piece of advice. You mentioned earlier that when you were in school, there, there was no degree for what you do now. And I would say the yeah. same for myself. I've got a friend who started in e-commerce and they said, do you have a degree in e-commerce? And she said, there was no degree for e-commerce when I was younger. No. I'm curious to know just in your time, in your career, what have you seen change in marketing since you started? Oh, gosh. I think a big thing is what metrics and KPIs we look at and really account for, especially within things like social media. It used to be so simple. It's just how many followers do we have? And that used to be, you know, the metric that you would go by. And now it's more about engagement. I think that's a really exciting trend is seeing things move more towards engagement and user-based behavior metrics versus just kind of vanity vanity metrics. So that's a big change that I've seen. I also think there's been a lot of changes within web and email marketing. I've spent a good part of my career within websites. And it used to be very much dump all the information, right? Like we would have 40, 50 page websites that had every bit of content you could ever want to find. Mm -hmm. And you have to hope that the user would find it. And you all carefully indexed and SEO'd those pages. And now it's more about that experience. It's about that user behavior. So you're seeing websites that are smaller uh, and they're more geared towards 
the actual user behavior and you're seeing more testing happening uh, within organizations to drill down to that faster. I think that's a really exciting change. Yeah, great examples. Awesome. What keeps you up at night? <laughs> no, Hopefully not morning not. sickness, um, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, yeah. For the first time in a very long time in my career, I'm actually at a point where not too much keeps me up at night. I will say, yeah, cheers for that. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> things, are, mm-hmm. things are going really well within the Fleet Corps organization, especially within the marketing organization at the moment. Um, we've got a great team. It's one of the few companies I've worked at where I can say I genuinely value and, and appreciate the competency level of all of my coworkers. It's, it's a great team. Mm. So not too much keeps me up at night at the moment. But in past roles, it's always been a lot of technical challenges where you're trying to put together a campaign or make sure that you have the reporting or there's, there's something with like your MarTech stack and it's going to impede the performance of a campaign. Typically, it's one where you've evangelized this issue and you've tried to propose solutions, but the organization doesn't see the problem the same way you do yet. And so it's it's almost like you have to let a campaign fail to prove the point. Those are always the kinds of problems that kept me up at night in past roles because I, I hate to foresee a problem, foresee a solution, but still not be able to resolve it. So yeah, I would say that's what's kept me up at night as a theme in past roles. I want to follow up on that. Have you come up with a way to reconcile the let it break, let it fail so we can expose what's not working to leadership versus I'm responsible for this customer <laughs> first, have to succeed, got to protect yeah. my team. It's a big challenge. Typically how I've been successful, I haven't always been successful in managing those types of problems, but there have been examples where I have been successful and those have tended to look like almost proposing it as a test where it's like, hey, I think this is what's going to happen. How can we turn this into a learning that has metrics and KPIs attached to it so that we can then take that and apply it for future campaigns. So rather than just saying, hey guys, this isn't going to work and then letting it fail, you're trying to turn it into a business solution. I like that. That's very clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Com- big companies love testing. So anytime you can turn something into a test, especially if you think something is going to fail, sure, it's usually really beneficial. Tests and pilots, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, tests and pilots. <laughs> Do you have advice for the next generation Gosh. of marketers? What would you share? I think the biggest thing that I've learned for the next generation of marketers has been when I was teaching at General Assembly because I saw so many people who were coming straight out of college. They had their marketing degree, but they still had no tactical skills or experience in terms of the actual tools, the KPIs, things of that nature. They're just kind of taught, you know, the concepts. I mean, universities are still teaching the four P's, which is, you know, just severely antiquated and out of date at this point. So I would say for those marketers, do everything you can to get hands-on inside of tools, inside of actual campaigns as early as possible. Even if it's getting all of your HubSpot certifications that you can for free or pay out of pocket to get a Salesforce certification if you have to. Because once you get these certifications, they really do hold a lot of weight within the hiring world. And they do give you a little bit of a leg up once you're actually in, you know, your first job, second job. But then also one of the big things that I did that I still think is applicable, I volunteered for a lot of nonprofits early in my career to get the experience that I wasn't getting through my employer because it was still really early on. So I would get experience running campaigns for nonprofits 
And the best part about nonprofits is they usually don't have a lot of marketing resources. They don't have a lot of dollars. You have to get hands-on. You have to get nitty-gritty. And they also don't really know a whole lot. So they look to you as an expert. So you get a little bit more control over things than maybe you would within an actual corporation. But you're still getting that experience that can go on your resume. You're getting those items that can go in your portfolio. That's great. That's really good advice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We asked you what keeps you up at night. I want to go the opposite direction. What gets you excited? What do you think about? Do you have like a, a, an idea that you're super passionate about or something forward thinking? So the big thing that I'm really passionate about right now is actually that revenue attribution piece and proving marketing's value to the organization. My big project for the near term at work in my spare time <laughs> is uh, actually working on like what an internal QBR would look like. So let's say, you know, internally all the other departments within the organization are kind of our internal customers. We're the, the internal marketing agency, if you will, right? So if we had to report back to our clients, our internal clients, what would that look like? And how would we show the value that we're contributing? And that's through a lot of reporting, a lot of analytics, campaign performances, larger performances, things like that. It's an exciting, challenging problem for me to try to solve. Yeah, that's really cool. That's a big one. Hmm. It is a big one. It's, it's especially because we're one of those challenged organizations where two different sales pipelines that customers could go through one has great reporting, one doesn't, one's directly influenced by marketing, one's not. So trying to tie it all together is just a, a giant puzzle piece, which is not a challenge that I'm unique in by myself. It's, it's sure. a challenge that a lot of marketers are facing. Do you find that it helps you tell the story of marketing in, in the avenue that doesn't really go through marketing and have marketing support? Are the numbers lower than the ones where marketing has been able to touch? Or is it not apples to apples for you guys? I haven't gotten far enough into the data to really be able to answer that conclusively. One of our paths that customers can go down has traditionally been supported by a lot of inbound and digital marketing efforts. So SEO, SEM, paid search, well, that's SEM, Mm -hmm. programmatic, things of that nature. And those have traditionally brought a lot of volume, but not the best quality. Mm -hmm. And then you have the sales path where People are touched by sales reps. A lot of these sales reps are going out. They're kind of hunting their own leads in a very old school way. And we're just getting into the process of better supporting that with with early marketing touches in that life cycle. Those traditionally have gotten much, much better quality, but really low volume. So we're trying to figure out how do we kind of load balance the volume to quality ratio along both of those paths um, while still being supported by marketing. So it's a challenging problem for us at the moment. An exciting one. Good luck as you continue on. Yeah, very exciting one. So looking back over your career, Melissa, you mentioned some things that really made a difference for you, like working with nonprofits to expand your experience. Is there anything looking back that you would change? Oh, that's a great question. The only thing that I really would have tried to change is I spent the first probably five years of my career very heavily in direct mail and print marketing. And a lot of that time was spent trying to break into more digital-based efforts. And it was towards the end of that five years that I started working with nonprofits. I started finding certifications and things of that nature. I kind of wish I would have gotten into that a little sooner. I feel like I might have a bit more experience under my belt from that digital standpoint that might have helped me excel in my career a little bit further, a little bit faster. This is a big one. So we call it rapid fire, and then um, we found that we'll ask a question, and then there's a lot of thinking. 
that goes on, okay. even though they're not okay. super complicated. So we'll edit out the pauses. It's <laughs> okay. not really stressful. You're not in the hot seat. It's just kind of a goofy little uh, round that we do. All right, let's see you start. All right. So uh, Melissa, if your life is a movie, who plays you? Oh, this is actually a question that I've answered before and thought a lot about. It would either be Amy Adams. Yeah. Or why am I blanking on her name right now? It was a girl that was in La La Land. What is her name? Emma Stone. I feel like they both have um, mm-hmm. they both have the red hair going for them, so that's a big one. But they they both have this very kind of quirky. They can be serious, but they're also really funny. They've got really good comedic timing, and I I don't know. I just feel like they would portray me pretty I well. I like it. That's a great one. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, what's your favorite KPI? That is a tough one. I feel like it's. It's not the highest level should be the most important, but I'm a big fan of customer acquisition cost and customer lifetime value. I think the CLV one is probably my favorite because once you know that, everything revolves around that. That's how you get to revenue. That's how you figure out your budget. That's how all the things, I feel like everything centers around those kind of indirectly. So I, I think I like customer that. I lifetime value before. is my that's answer. A great one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Really? Okay, like nice. <laughs> What's your favorite productivity hack? Check your email less. Mm. Honestly, uh, I used to live in my inbox. I used to meticulously try to organize things in folders. Now I live by the search function and I probably, unless I know there's something there I have to check or there's, I see something super urgent come through. I'm really only in my email inbox about three times a day, Mm. morning, after lunch, and before the end of the day. And that saves a ton of time. I think the other one is kind of a, I learned it from a salesperson I used to work with. He called it the three email rule. Once you send an email about something three times, if mm-hmm. you don't have clarity on it, get on the phone, quit wasting time going back and forth, just hop on a team's call, get on a Slack huddle, do something and just sort it out fast and quit wasting time on. I, I abhor email. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's the biggest time suck that we have in the corporate world. I agree. How do you feel about meetings? <laughs> most of them can be emails which i hate so that's, I, think, I think that says everything that's awesome. okay first job worst job so my very very first job i was a server at a restaurant i was 15 uh it was a little local mom and pop restaurant worst job midway through my career i had a company that was very very difficult to work for the leadership and it was definitely one of those you would kind of call a toxic work environment it was very difficult to just do the day-to-day aspects of my job without conflict and things of that nature. I learned a great deal in that role. Uh, it definitely helped my professional growth, but I would also definitely put it in the bucket of my worst job. Totally get that. Yeah. What's the last book you've read? This is embarrassing. It's this series. Um, I think her name's Catherine McGee. It's called American Royals. Where it's it's totally like teenage fiction, just dumb, <laughs> mindless reading. But it it's kind of reimagines what if after the Revolutionary War, Washington wasn't president, he became king, and so all of America has been ruled by a monarchy um, rather than a democracy for the last two hundred years. So it kind of follows in modern day what that royal family in America would be like. Interesting. That's really cool. It's, yeah, it's it's interesting, but it's also complete embarrassing, <laughs> like mindless teenage reading. Yeah, that's all right. 
I've got a, a 15 year old daughter and a couple of years ago, I was sitting in her room and she wasn't paying any attention to me. And I walked over to her bookshelf and picked up one of her books. It was called the school of good and evil or something like that. Yeah. They turned that into a movie. Yeah. I started thumbing through it and I just didn't stop. And then I read the next book and I read the next book. I'm like, why am I reading yeah. Yeah. About witches and magic and whatever, but it, yeah. you know, it's good for the brain to. It's entertaining. And then on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and I'm on this kick with Ron Chernow. Like right now I'm listening to the 40 something hour biography of Washington. Yeah, this one right um, here. I got Washington. And then, I got Hamilton. Yeah. I got Grant. Yep. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I did. Grant was my last so one. So good. Wasn't uh, it? So complete, complete ends of the spectrum. Yeah. I, I was reading Grant and the school for good and evil at the exact same time. I'm like, oh, I want to learn something. Oh, oh I want to not think now. How great was that? Grant yeah, book? exactly. He's so good at me. I think I fell asleep through parts of it because the narrator on that audiobook was a little um, monotonous, but um, definitely it was interesting. There was a lot about him that I learned that I did not know. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Okay. Who's the most fascinating contact on your phone? Gosh, that is a really difficult. I don't know if I have anyone I would consider fascinating in my phone. I keep my phone list pretty pretty tight, pretty tight, pretty down to the bare minimum. Yeah. All right. I like it. I'm going to say myself because I am in my contact book today. There you go. You are fascinating. Rock on. We'll allow it. Okay. Cool. All right. So Melissa, if you could be famous for one thing, what would it be? Oh, wow. I always dreamed of being a singer when I was younger and dreamed of going. And now I can't sing for anything, but if I could be famous for anything for a day, I would be, I would be like Taylor Swift. There you go. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I think I know the answer to this next one. So is there, if you could wake up tomorrow having gained one quality or ability, what would it be? Having more patience mm-hmm. with just with everything, really. I, I'm one of those very like anxious, worry types by nature. So I think if I could have the ability to kind of let go of that and, and have more patience and more grace, especially with myself, I think that would be a huge change in my in my day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Especially with yourself. Amen awesome. to that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with myself. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, clearly you're killing it. <laughs> Thank right? you. And then you're like going to be down on yourself like we all do, right? We only are looking for right. problems, yeah. like completely ignoring everything that's working. Yep. No, absolutely. Or even even just having the ability to be one of those like really optimistic, positive outlook type people versus kind of focusing on the negative. Like, for example, I had a bunch of fires this morning and I was texting one of my friends. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how is it already 10, 15? It feels like it should be three o'clock. Like mm. these days kicking my butt. And his response was focus on what you can control and do good at that. And I was like, that's so obvious and so simple. And he's one of those like very always optimistic personalities. And, you know, I just want to complain and woe is me. And oh my gosh. (laughs) And he just had the most simplistic, practical, optimistic advice for me. I would love to have more of that attitude and outlook. Yeah. Got it. Fantastic. That's a great one. What's the best compliment you've ever gotten? I think that it was actually a professional compliment and it was actually not that long ago. I felt like I was really dumping a lot of stuff on on my design team. And the creative director said I was one of the best people to work with that she's ever worked with. And she really appreciated uh-huh. how I handle, especially conflict with, you know, other departments, like when there's problematic things going on that I handle those really well. And she was really impressed by that. 
and that I'm actually great to work with. So mm. here I, I was apologizing to her like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. This has such a tight deadline and da, 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 da. And she turned around and gave me this great unexpected compliment. It absolutely awesome. meant the world to me. Yeah. Mm, I think great. second best would be someone telling me I was the best manager they ever had. Mm. Oh, both fantastic. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I need to print those out and hang them up on my wall. <laughs> That's right. With neon <laughs> flashing around them so you don't forget. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Get a, get a billboard made out yes. of it. I like it. That's funny. Yeah. Describe yourself in five words. Sarcastic is definitely one of them. I have to rein that in at work a little bit, but I'm definitely a sarcastic person. Hence the, the Emma Stone, Amy Adams vibes and kind of that, that playfulness. Unfortunately, I'm going to throw anxious in there because that is just kind of a, a static nature for me. Definitely a anxious worry type and it definitely affects my day to day. I'm going to go with playful and that's kind of, I guess maybe a little similar to sarcastic, but very playful. I've got three dogs that I love to be goofy and wrestle with and, and all of that. And I don't like to be serious unless I have to be. I don't know what adjective this would be, but I love sleep. I feel like there's got to be an adjective for like power yeah. napper or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know what it is to get my, my uh, thesaurus out for that one. <laughs> um, gosh, I don't know if I can come up with a fifth. Analytical. That's what I was going to I'm very analytical. You mentioned that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very analytical, oh. especially with work. I'm that my Myers-Briggs is INTJ and that's, it's literally like um, the analyst or something like that is what it's called or something along those lines where you're just constantly analyzing things. You're, you know, somebody else is going from A to B to C and I'm already at Z. Mm. Um, my brain just kind of naturally goes that way and analyzes situations. So yeah, I would go with analytical. That's awesome. Those are a good five. I especially like the power napping one. I think you've got yeah. a new favorite KPI, right? <laughs> yes, minutes slept. Yeah, actually my favorite personal KPI is the... um my Apple watch tracks the quality of my sleep. Oh yeah. You know, and it gives you, it gives you a percentage. Yeah. Uh, so my sleep quality percentage has steadily increased the past few years. So that's my favorite personal KPI. There you go. That's great. And once you have the kid, then the amount of sleep will go down, but the depth of yes. sleep during that period will go up. Oh yeah. I'm sure that number is going to nosedive here soon. Mm. It's going to be exciting. And your anxiety yeah. will be totally fine. You're going to sleep <laughs> Totally well. fine. Yes. Like I will have great. nothing to worry about. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> Kids are super easy. Yeah. Mm. Just <laughs> focus on the analytics of the baby <laughs> yes. run the number number yes. number of Aww. days alive that's all you have to care about <laughs> yeah. everything else takes care of itself I love that. <laughs> oh that's great Melissa, thank you so much this has been wonderful oh, this has been so fun this is a blast thank you for coming on this has been awesome thank you guys right. thank, thank you and good luck with the right. little one bye i appreciate it thank you for staying tuned if you're enjoying these conversations, we would appreciate it if you would subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It really helps us to increase the podcast reach. Thank you. See you next week with more inspiring stories. This episode of Marketing Heroes is brought to you by The Search Guru, produced by Circle Audio and podcast cover art by Andra Lazorde.